Well, thank you for listening to Coffee House Questions. This is Ryan Polly. You know, one of the most common questions and groups of questions that I get when I go speak to students is along the lines of why God allows evil. Uh, why would he allow the suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, is hell fair? All those sort of things that have to do with evil. And, and this especially is coming up in our culture today as we see these examples of hurricanes and tsunamis and earthquakes and fires and just the destruction that's happening on our planet. And so these are one of this, these are the types of questions that we really need to answer when trying to understand Christianity and the Christian view of God. And so one of the most, I think, important classes that I ever took uh, in my master's program at Biola was a class, Why Does God Allow Evil? And I took that with Dr. Clay Jones, an associate professor there at Biola University. And so now I have the chance of discussing this important issue with him today. He's joining me over Skype, and uh, he has just written a book, why Does God Allow Evil? Compelling Answers for Life's Toughest Questions. And he's pretty much taken the class that I spent a lot of money learning uh, in the, and, and taken all of that information, put it into this book, and so now it's accessible to you. And so we're going to be discussing that and, and uh, his book and these important questions. So, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for coming on and, and joining me this morning. My pleasure, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and it was such a joy being in your classes. I was able to take three different classes, the Resurrection, uh, Research and Writing, and then Why God Allows Evil with you. And, uh, man, I just appreciate all the time that you've spent and working and building into the students there at Biola. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I, I'm not sure too many people appreciate research and writing, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but thank you. Maybe I'm focusing more on the uh, Resurrection <laughs> and the Why God Allows yeah. Evil classes. Yes, indeed. But I guess the, re the the research and writing class did help because I wrote my paper on the hallucination theory, and then that came in very helpful when uh, in the resurrection class and, and being able to discuss that. So it, it was helpful, absolutely. That's good. Um, well, kind of uh, as we get started to kind of let people know about you know who you are and what you do, um, you are associate professor of apologetics at Biola. Um, how did you get into the world of apologetics, and how long have you been a, a professor? Well, I, I got it. You know, it's funny. I always tell people that growing up, my father was an atheist and my mother was an astrologer, and together we attended the United Methodist Church. Uh, and uh, my father would have said, no, he was really hardcore agnostic, but he lived like an atheist. He was, oh man, I mean, an adulterer, uh, gambler, uh, just a mess of a fellow. Uh, while he was being the superintendent of a couple of school districts, an, an educated man. Uh, on the other hand, my mother was into o all things occult. I think she was trying to compensate for all of her struggles with my dad. And we attended the United Methodist Church, uh, which, you know, we only hardly, the pastor there didn't hardly believe a word of what he was saying. Uh, but my dad then became a Christian, and when he became a Christian, uh, we saw a dramatic change, but I think as a result of that, I was very interested in truth claims right off the bat. Uh, apologetics immediately was interesting to me and important to me. By 15 years old, I was studying apologetics seriously, uh, and um, and so you know, I mean, made that I decided to major in philosophy uh, at the university and. And uh, so I've, I've been interested in apologetics for a long time. I did a radio program for eight years called Contend for Truth, which was an apologetics radio program. And, and I've been at Biola now uh, full-time. I'm in my, I think I'm in my 13th full-time year. Wow. I was there part-time for a year, so I've been there for quite a while doing apologetics. 
Yeah, wow. So a lot of experience. And on your radio show, you would also do debates with, with people of different religions and, and belief systems? Yes, I, yeah. I, I always tried to have somebody in as much as I could that would actually oppose the truth of Christianity because uh, I didn't want to just be you know talking to the choir, so to speak. Yeah. So as someone who is, is a professor of apologetics, uh, what would be something you would say to people like, uh, just why do we even need apologetics? Why is this an important field of study that we as Christians should go into and learn some stuff about? Well, you know, as you know, our the verse we always turn to is First Peter 3.15, always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who calls you to account for the hope that's within you, yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Uh, it's not good enough for Christians today, and it's... it's to just say, I believe, I'm not sure it's ever been good enough. I don't even think the early church in Acts, they always appealed to the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And now with a proliferation everywhere of atheist arguments, which you didn't used to have, frankly, before the Internet, the age of the Internet, you didn't see that very much. Yeah. Uh, now we're inundated by atheist arguments, and Christians need to be able to answer these things. Yeah. Absolutely. So the problem of evil being one, kind of what led you into that kind of being your academic focus in studying human evil? Well, you know, it's a great question. I, in 1981, uh, I, the Lord began to, I, in my studies, I began to figure out, uh, I began to be enamored with the idea of our glorification of our eternity, what God was doing in the Christian, that he was going to glorify us uh, and that we were going to live with him forever. And I really began to study that in great detail for a very long period of time. Uh, and as that went on, and I was a young pastor, I was teaching on the subject of our glorification and, and that we've been adopted into his family, forgiven of our sins, that we're going to inherit all things, etc. After a while, I, I, it became, I, I began to think, well, okay, that's where we're going, that the Lord is doing these glorious things for us. Where has he, where did we come from? Where did the, where were we as non-Christians? And so I began to study human evil and our lost condition in Christ. And what I found was, and it was uh, amazing to me, is I understood the depths of human sinfulness and the glory of what God was bringing us into forever. The problem of evil, frankly, uh, and this may surprise some people, but it just went away. I, I just no longer found it a problem. Uh, and uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the famous preacher of Westminster Chapel, and uh, said, he says, most of our troubles, most of the Christians' troubles are due to a double failure. We fail on the one hand to understand the depths of our uh, sinfulness and where we've come from, and we fail on the other to understand the glory that awaits us in heaven forever. And I think that's exactly correct. And I think it's this lack is causing so many Christians to just simply not only just not understand what's going on with evil and suffering in the world, they don't even understand Christianity. <laughs> I mean, because yeah. you really need to understand those two things to have a robust Christian life. But anyway, so when somebody came 23, 24 years ago now said, would you like to write a book? And I said, well, yeah, I would. I'd like to write one on the problem of evil. And I didn't know it was going to take me 23 years uh, to get to get it out but basically that's what happened but i'm thankful I, the lord's timing was good i need, i had a lot still to learn and a lot of things to study and so i put 23 years in that book 
Well, this book, I think, definitely shows that you put the time into it. This is not just a uh, a, a surface-level, kind of scratching-the-surface approach. You, it shows that you've done research and, and you've really looked into this issue on, on all different angles, and so it definitely shows that. And and as we get into our discussion, we'll be sure to, to talk about the, the depths of human sinfulness as well as the glory that awaits us, the two big issues that you say kind of help kind of eliminate the problem of evil for you, which, like you said, might sound crazy because that is the big problem that people have. And so as we jump into some of these questions, some questions that some listeners have asked, as well as uh, some topics in the book, uh, I do want to remind uh, the people who are listening that you can send in your questions, your comments about the show. You can email those in at contact at Coffeehouse Questions. But I also want to encourage you uh, to follow on the Facebook page at Coffeehouse Questions. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter at RyanPolly3. And on each one of those social media platforms, I'm posting uh, who I'm going to be interviewing coming up and uh, give you the chance to to ask questions uh, that you have about the topic. And so we can kind of discuss those on the podcast as well. So I encourage you to follow me there. Uh, and then you can also text in your questions and comments at 714-989-6927. So as we kind of jump into uh, this important issue, um, as you kind of started off, it, it what how would you define evil? Uh, I think that's maybe a, a problem that we often have is this idea that, well, if God created all things, then God must have created evil, making God bad. How do you define what is evil that God is allowing? Well, that's that's a huge issue. And, and I, in fact, I was speaking of all things at a junior high, and that was one of the – so where did that – where did evil come from? And I and one of the things I, I like to point out at the, at the beginning is evil's not a thing. There's not a blob. It's not like there's a blob somewhere in the universe that we would call evil. If there were such a blob, it, it would be odd. It would be hard to understand why God would create such a blob. Uh, evil is is the result of the misuse of the human will, uh, and that's where evil. That's that's what it's all about. Or not just the human will. Uh, it's also the misuse of angelic beings' will. Uh, Satan obviously used his free will wrongly, and so evil is is just simply the result of misusing the the will, using it, uh, using our what God has given us for evil. Um, you know, and I would sep separate that from what we call natural evil, uh, and, and natural evil are things like earthquakes and tsunamis you know, cancer, death by natural causes, and so on. Those are natural evils. Uh, but I argue, as you know, uh, Ryan, that, that natural evils uh, are all the result of, well, of sin in one way or another. They're the result of sin. Uh, if, not, if nothing else, they're the fact that Adam and Eve, when they rebelled against God, God then removed them from the rejuvenating tree of life and cursed the ground. And as I like to point out, what pestilence, what disease, what cancer could not have been enabled by God looking at planet Earth and saying, I curse you. And so anyway, er, but just evil's not a thing. Uh, and I and and even when we talk about natural evil, it's not a thing. Uh, the suffering that has ensued is actually, and this is my next book is entitled God Willing, if it comes out, <clears throat> how does God use suffering? And that God actually did us a favor by using suffering uh, in our lives because it causes us to give up our our immortality projects our ways of trying to find glory and immortality without God uh, mm -hmm. Suffering threatens those and so it's valuable for us So would you then classify evil being in kind of two different categories of, of human evil and the natural evil being the earthquakes and hurricanes and that sort of thing? 
Yes, uh, although you know, creaturely, uh, creaturely evil, and, and the reason I say creaturely is because again, uh, angels and non non human beings have also c- committed evil. Okay. You know, so creaturely evil and natural evil. Yes. Okay. And so, as you kind of travel, this is one of the topics that you talk about a lot uh, with with schools and churches. As you kind of travel around, what do you find is kind of the normal, the Christian response to the problem of evil? Um, are they kind of aware of the things that you discuss in your talk? Are most people kind of oblivious? Yeah, that's uh, you know, I think that the thing is, is I always tell audiences that most of you would be able to get a lot of the answers right on why God allows evil that most of you would. Uh, the trouble is, is that we don't believe our answers <laughs> and we haven't thought our answers through deeply enough to where we actually find them compelling. Uh, for instance, when it comes to human evil, you know, that, that humans are not good, that humans are sinful, that humans are evil is Christianity like 100. Uh, I mean, it, it, it might even be, you know, Christianity 60. It's just basic Christianity. But I don't find that most people actually believe, or even most Christians don't actually believe that very deeply. Yeah. Uh, when, when it comes to free will, they don't get it, but they believe. They'll say, yeah, oh, yeah, because of free will, but they don't really understand it. They don't get this, what it's about, and, and uh, so that's why, you know, a lot of discussion needs to be made on those topics. That's why I deal with that a lot in my those topics in my book. Yeah, and we'll get to the human beings, you know, being good here in a little bit, but uh, kind of just as an introductory question, your book, titled Why Does God Allow Evil? So if someone were to come up to you at a church during a Q&A or something and just say, Dr. Jones, why does God allow evil? Uh, do you have like a short answer that, that I, someone I could give to that? Uh, well, I, I actually have it, and I, I actually give a short answer. The last thing I do in the book is I actually give, I think it's a, like a 300-word answer, because I think Christians need to be able to, because I am asked that. I'm sit, I'll be sitting there at a dinner table with some people I don't know very well or whatever, and they'll say, so why does God allow evil? And in just in short, without resorting to actually reading what I wrote in the 300-word summation of the problem, uh, God evil God allows evil because he wanted to create beings that have free will. And that could be unpacked forever, but he wanted to create beings that have free will. These, these, but having free will requires that we be able to use our free will wrongly, uh, our first parents, Adam and Eve, did use their free will wrongly, and they plunged us, their descendants, into a lifelong, you know, education of the knowledge of good and evil. That's what we're learning here. When they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they plunged us into a lifelong education of that. Um, and uh, so, uh, but but then Jesus came and died on the cross to redeem humankind from the evil that they've endured, uh, and God is using our knowledge here about evil uh, to prepare us to reign with him forever and ever. In other words, this knowledge is useful for us in heaven even, so that God can, so we can have free will in heaven, yet not sin. Uh, and so, I obviously, and that's what we're going to be talking about as, our, as the time goes on, but obviously all of those things could be unpacked. Yeah. But I think one of the biggest things is that God is teaching us here the stupidity of sin, uh, and that sin leads to suffering and death, and and this knowledge is valuable for our eternity. Well, maybe we can kind of jump forward to one of the questions I have for you, because uh, on the stupidity of sin, because you use an example in your class that I have now used, I think, every single time I go talk to students 
uh, about putting a pen in your eye. Yes. Um, can you share that with, with the listeners of, of the stupidity of sin? Well, I got that, and I think I mentioned it, but I got that originally from Dallas Willard, the former professor of philosophy at USC. I think I footnote that, but he, he stood up in front of the class, and now I'd say this to people, and I'll hold a pen up to my eye and say, would you like to see me jab this pen into my eye? In fact, I just did this last you know, Thursday to a class of junior highs. Of course, you always get a smart aleck at junior highs. Uh, students going, yeah, sure. But, uh, uh, you know, and I, but, and I always tell people, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to jab this pen into my eye. Do you know why I'm not going to jab this pen into my eye? Because that'd be a stupid thing to do, and I'm too smart for that. But we don't give pens to babies. Why? Because they jab it right in their eye. And so, uh, so, and, and J.P. Moreland, who's always less delicate than I am, um, I guess I won't be that delicate right now, but he used the <laughs> example of, of uh, how many of us would like to go out and chow down on a steaming pile of dog poop. Uh, not really, but we don't let children out around a steaming pile of dog poop because, they. I mean, I shouldn't say children, we don't let babies around it. Why? Because they just walk right into it. They just trundle right into it. Uh, another, and, and all of this is to say what we're learning here is that's like sin. What we're learning here, for those of us that are Christians, who have a mind to understand what's going on in the universe, we're learning that sin is stupid. That jabbing a pen into my eye would be a stupid thing to do. Uh, and we're learning here the stupidity of sin, and this prepares us so that we can go into, he in, into heaven forever and have free will and not sin. And so we're learning these truths now, and uh, this is valuable to us, and the judgment, of course, is going to be a further education, a huge education yeah. of the horror of, of sinfulness and how stupid sin is, and that's valuable knowledge for our eternity. Yeah, that's good. You know, uh, this summer I was speaking uh, at a summer camp, and I didn't have a pen, and so I would go, oh, I have keys in my pocket, so I pulled out my keys and used the example of the keys, and then I go, you know, now do you hand keys to babies? And then I stopped and I thought, wait, yeah, we do. <laughs> Why do we give keys to babies? But uh, but I do think that's a great thing. You know, never in a million years are, are we going to take a pen and just jab, jab it in our eye. We realize how dumb that is. You know, it's funny because uh, I don't. You're, I think you're the first person I've ever mentioned that to because you bring it up. But I've gotten into trouble and not had a pen uh, when I come to that analogy when I'm teaching. And so now I, I my notes are a PowerPoint slide, and the very first PowerPoint slide says get a pen because <laughs> <laughs> so, otherwise because it's a rather it's like all of a sudden i'm trying to think of another analogy of, and it's just it, anyway it, yeah. yeah i've done that yeah absolutely so uh, kind of at the, at the beginning of your response you, you mentioned that look god allows evil because he wanted to create free creatures and free freedom and the freedom of the will requires that we can do wrong but couldn't God have created us free, but then just stop evil actions? Or couldn't he have created a world in which free creatures always choose to do right? Yeah, that, you know, that's the, and I, in fact, I have a chapter in my book entitled, Wasn't There Another Way? Because those are, really, all of those are in the category of, wasn't there another way? Couldn't God have given us free will and yet prevented all evil? And And I always tell everybody, if somebody says that to you, ask that question, don't freak out. Say, what my answer in the general question is, is, okay, what do you got? How does God do that? How does God give creatures free will and then either prevent evil 
or at least greatly diminish the amount of evil there is. Uh, and I, the response, uh, and I encourage your listeners to try this, the response is almost universally, um, I don't know, I'm not God. Uh, and, and when I, I was on a radio program with um, uh, debating Richard Norman, uh, who is a professor of philosophy from, I think, the University of Leeds in England, and this was on the Unbelievable broadcast, and he said, well, I'm not the divine being. Well, that's a cop-out, frankly. Uh, I mean, if, if you can't think of a way that God could uh, give us free will and yet either get rid of all evil or at least greatly diminish the amount of evil, then maybe there really isn't a way. Uh, and I don't, I don't see the way uh, without God dr dramatically restricting our free will. How does he keep a parent from driving drunk, for instance? How does he do that and not injure their child? How does he keep us from doing many, 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 many terrible things to each other without greatly restricting our free will? And, and, and I don't think he does. And, and also, back to the pen analogy, if God, I, I argue that God is using the horrors that we do to each other to teach us the stupidity of sin. And so it actually serves his, if that's correct, it actually serves his purposes to allow us to be, frankly, really evil. Uh, it could be worse. I mean, for instance, Hitler could have won the war. Hitler could have gotten the atomic bomb first. He was trying to. Uh, what if he'd gotten the atomic bomb first? Wouldn't that have been a game changer? Uh, uh, Stalin's dead. Pol Pot's dead. They, they don't live forever. God, it, God limits evil. In fact, he even says in Genesis that he limits e that he's not going to put up with the corruption of man, so he limited our lifespans to 120 years. Most of us don't make it that long. Once in a while, somebody does, but, but uh, he, he is limiting evil. And so you get in this argument, though, how much evil should he, you know, should he limit? Yeah. That's, that's, not a, that, that's a waste of time. The bottom line is he has to allow evil to occur. Yeah. And with that kind of evil occurring in our world, you get kind of one of the, I guess, the most common questions that I, I frequently get from students and from people. And, and even uh, Aaron Brake wrote in on Facebook, who I believe was in the uh, MA Apologetics program. Yes. Um, but uh, so he asked one of the common questions, which, frankly, I, I wonder why this question is still going around the Internet. Uh, but it kind of goes back to what you mentioned at the beginning. But with all these bad things happening, why do bad things happen to good people? Why would a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people that's a of course that's one of the most famous questions and there's a couple of answers to that uh one of them is and this goes back to free will and you might have wanted to talk about this in a minute but natural laws must work in regular ways if our actions are going to mean anything at all otherwise you could have billy cutting his steak next to his little brother bobby and he could take his steak knife and jab it into bobby's side and god could make the knife turn to rubber and the whole family could laugh. Ah, oh, isn't that cute? You know, I mean, Billy, Billy just tried to kill Bobby, uh, but then God made the knife turn to rubber. Uh, but that's a cartoon world. God could make it. He could have made the world such that he was always intervening <coughs> uh, and stopping things uh, from happening. But that's a cartoon world. That's not a real world. In a real world, natural laws must work in regular ways if our actions are going to mean anything. So that's first. Secondly, and, and this is one of the things, as you know, that, that I'm big on is there are no good people. And we need to get, we need to get that through our heads. 
when Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. He wasn't passing the time of day. He wasn't making small talk. I think we think, oh, well, God, you know, Jesus is just making small talk. He doesn't mean it. Uh, he, he meant it. There's no one good. Uh, in fact, when you realize that everybody is really, really not good, and this is where the whole Auschwitz thing comes in, uh, and genocide, when you real study genocide, you realize people are not good. Um, in fact, as I point out in my book, and I quote all these people on this, Every genocide researcher I know to a person, and there are no exceptions, not just every genocide researcher I know, but every genocide victim, there are no exceptions, agrees that it's the average, uh, average member of a population, the ordinary member of a population that commits genocide. Mm -hmm. In other words, they're not monsters, they're not, they're not sadists, they're just regular folks like you and me. Uh, and once you realize that, that you realize humans really aren't good. They do genocide very easily. Thus, Romans 3.20, there's no one who does good. And then later in chapter 3, it says, and their feet are swift to shed blood. That is the human condition. And so once you realize the depths of human sinfulness, the question, why does God allow evil, kind of goes away because nobody ever asks, or why do, excuse me, why, does, why do bad things happen to good people? That question kind of goes away because no one ever asks why bad things happen to bad people. Yeah, and without Christ, that's all we are—bad people. Yeah, and I I quoted you on that uh, in the article that I wrote for the Apologetic Study Bible for students on you know why does God send good people to hell and that there are no good people. We don't ask why do bad things happen to bad people. That's right. But you know, kind of going along with this, you know, you talked about you know people don't do good things, but what about you know how do you then reconcile that with with people who try to give money to the poor and and love people and and do good things? Doesn't that make you a better person? Wow, you know, wow, what it's such a such a great question and and in fact my next book and a little bit of a preview what I've realized in doing an immense amount of reading in the last 6 months is that everyone on earth is if you're not a Christian you still have an immortality project uh and that's a phrase some non-Christians came up with everybody has an immortality project and what that means is we're all trying to feel good about ourselves. We're all trying to even have a sense of immortality without God. Uh, and what's happened is an awful lot of these people, in fact everyone, is trying to find some way, if they're not Christians, to have immortality without God. And that's leading them, frankly, to do a lot of good works that are for their own sense of immortality and their own, their own sense of feeling good about themselves. Uh, but also, but just because somebody does a good thing, we need to understand this. That doesn't mean they're a good person. And and people don't, they, they need to think that through. For instance, people say, um, bring up Gandhi all the time. That's a constant, it was Gandhi. Gandhi was, sure, he wasn't a Christian, but he was a good person. No, he wasn't, not even close. Uh, Gandhi went to bed naked with his nieces, who were also naked, every night. The only time he interrupted that is when he was going to bed with other men men's wives. Uh, I mean, he was always going to bed with women naked. He said he was testing, he was doing that to test his endurance. He never reported how how often his endurance held 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 on, you know. But but uh, anyway, he would, Gandhi was not even remotely a good person. But you see, he did a good act, though. But that doesn't make you a good person. And we've got to get beyond that. I mean, for instance, Jesus says, if you commit adultery, in your, or if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Uh, John says, 
he who hates his brother is a murderer. Well, how many of us got out of junior high school without being adulterous murderers? I didn't. I hate, you know, I mean, I hated kids and they hated me. And I don't think I need to explain to anybody the adulterous part of a junior high school boy's mind. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, I mean, so we're all, we're a mess as the human race, and that's why we need to be saved. And Christians, by the way, need to preach this more. We need to preach human sinfulness more because we need people to realize their lost state and, and, and feel the need for a Savior. But what we, if you only tell non-Christians about the love of God, they're not going to sense their need of being, I'm a lost person who deserves to be judged. Yeah, and that's that's a big part, is, is recognizing that we are sinful, lost beings deserving of punishment, uh, and, and that's kind of one of the ways in which, you know, talking about an eternal hell being fair. Um, but kind of going along with this, uh, my dad actually wrote in a question uh, of talking about, look, these evil things are constantly ha happening to us, bad things happening to bad people. So he, he wrote and asked, you know, so what's the purpose of prayers for protection against evil since nobody is really safe? Uh, well, that's that's a great question, and, and I think the answer to that is God will protect us, the Christian, that is, from evil if we ask for his help, but that doesn't mean, now here's the thing, but he often, and this is something Christians need to get, and that's why my next book is on how God uses suffering. See, what we don't understand is that often suffering is for our good. That's exactly the plan, is he actually wants us to suffer. Uh, you might remember in class I said, uh, God's plan A for your life is to take you through regular periods of suffering, and there is no plan B. Uh, that, that what we see is this really evil and horrible thing is actually God using this for our good to make us, well, to purify us, to prove us, to teach us godly and, and eternal truths, to, you know, he uses suffering even to deploy us, to move us into places where we can be useful. Now you know, that's part of my book outline, next yeah. book. But, but in other words... God will protect us from evil, and he does, but he do the Lord doesn't see suffering the way we see it. In fact, the scripture says in, in Romans 5, we rejoice in our suffering, because suffering, you know, produces, you know, endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope what? That we're really becoming more like Jesus. And so, uh, so he, it does protect us from evil, uh, but, but we but he doesn't see suffering coming into our lives uh, as evil, <laughs> frankly. Uh, uh, so anyway, I mean, I, this anyway, this is the topic of my next book. I could go on and on and on, but yeah. in, in essence, that that's kind of the short answer. Well, I, we are already over time. Um, it's amazing how quickly this goes by. And so I'm actually going to extend out a little bit because there's a couple more things I want to hit. But I'm not going to be able to get to some of these uh, kind of important questions that I wanted to ask, you know, uh, about, you know, what about the person who's never heard? You know, why would God create us uh, if he knew that we would sin? You know, how is eternal uh, health fair? Um, you will have to buy this book and read it to get some of those questions answered. Uh, but I would like to end our, our discussion uh, this morning uh, talking about uh, kind of what you end your book with, about, you know, how does an eternity relate to our suffering? You talked about those are the two things that Christians need to understand. First is human sinfulness and human evil, and the second is the glory that awaits us in heaven. So how can we reframe this topic uh, with heaven in mind to, as you said, kind of eliminate the problem of evil? Well, I, 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 I don't think it eliminates it, but it sure puts it in perspective. If 
if Christianity is true, if it's true, if it's not, then there's no talk. We don't even need to discuss this subject because it's not true. But if Christianity is true, then we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever, and eternity will dwarf our suffering to insignificance. Think about that. If eternity is true, it's going to dwarf our sufferings to insignificance. They're almost inconsequential in the big picture. Uh, this life is, in, se in a sense, it's boot camp. We're in boot camp here. And, and, uh, and so, yeah, we're going through hard things here. But we're going to live forever and ever and ever and ever. And I was speaking at a church uh, in northern Los Angeles County not that long ago. And when I was done, somebody says, yeah, you know, it's still not emotionally satisfying. And why is that? And I, I was glad that I was asked that question. I was able to say to the audience, the reason it's not emotionally satisfying is because you don't have a perspective of heaven at all. If you're the average Christian, heaven is an also ran doctrine. It's the PS to the Christian life. It's yet, yeah, 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 there's that heaven thing. I know that heaven thing's coming. Look, if Christianity is true, it's all about eternity. Uh, the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16, ends with, shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's, that is the event. We are being prepared for eternity. And my, my, those of you that are listening, I can't emphasize enough. Uh, we need to focus on eternity because, as well as Dallas Willard put it, human life is not about human life. But we don't get that, and, and we need to focus on eternity. We need to, as, as it says in First Peter, set our hope fully on the grace to be given us when Jesus Christ is revealed. And one more passage in, in Colossians 3, it says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not on earthly things, for you've died and your life is hid with Christ in God. And then when Christ, who is your life, appears, listen, you will appear with him in glory. I mean, anyway, but if you don't have a great, strong perspective on eternal life, then Christianity doesn't make sense. And that means, though, that you're, you're also in love with this world, and that's, he does not want that. You need to be in love with heaven and what's coming to you forever. Yeah. And I tell you what, when I first heard you talking about the idea of, of eternity dwarfing our suffering into insignificance, that, you know, when you, even if you have the worst possible life you can imagine for 80 years and you suffer in pain, and then you die and go to heaven where you spend an eternity pain-free, uh, you know, 80 years of suffering divided by an eternity is effectively 0%. Right. It's, it's nothing. I mean, it's not that suffering is suffering. We're yeah. not saying it's not real. But compared to eternity, that's why Paul says, this light and momentary affliction prepares us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I mean, yeah. we're going to be, he's giving us everything for the, all the glory and the, he's giving us the kingdom forever. Enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, I, I, you know, there's so much more that we could discuss, but hopefully this is beneficial to those listening uh, that they can get some stuff from this. Go check out the book, go deeper into this information. Uh, where can they find uh, your work that you're doing find this book? Well, if you want to read all the endorsements and everything, I actually have the website, whydoesgodallowevil.com. Uh, I've got that URL, whydoesgodallowevil.com, or uh, obviously you can go to Amazon or Christian Books and type in, why does God allow evil, and you will find my book right away. And so, uh, you know, the, the major booksellers, online booksellers are selling it, and and uh, you know most of the most of the 
the the brick and mortars aren't. Although somebody told me recently they saw it in the gas station in Texas. Oh wow! <laughs> I thought that was weird. But anyway, uh, so yeah, just Barnes and Noble or, or um, Amazon. Like I say, you can check out Clay or uh, WhiteIsGotAlowEvil.com and you'll find it too. And then you also blog at ClayJones.net. Yes. And then they can find uh, more articles there and on many different issues that you've discussed in human evil and uh, the Canaanites. Maybe I can have you on in the future and talk about the Canaanites. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Sure, we can talk Old about Testament Canaanites. A lot yeah. to say there. Awesome. Well, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for taking the time and discussing this with uh, me and my listeners this morning. Thank you. It's been a pleasure to be with you, Ryan. And for those of you listening, I appreciate it. Uh, I, I'm excited about this new year and the upcoming interviews uh, that I have in the following weeks and discussions. Uh, I just want to remind you again, send in those questions and comments that you have about this show. Maybe there's further questions that you have uh, that I could you know, email to Dr. Jones and then get his response and kind of talk about on the podcast. Uh, and then also just encouraging you to fill out uh, your uh, or follow on, on social media to be able to ask questions in future, future episodes. And, and also, I would just appreciate you going to iTunes and rating this podcast. You know, I don't ask for money. I do this out of my own uh, pocket. And uh, so that is one thing I would love to get from you and just be able to spread uh, Coffeehouse questions to more people. And so thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Let me know what you think. You've been listening to Coffeehouse Questions with Ryan Polly. Have a blessed day. Won't hesitate to follow.